Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 9. I will tell you while you're turning there that I have taken Larry Neff's advice on a couple of things. If y'all know Brother Larry Neff, you ought to get his morning devotions. They're amazing. He is the founder of Lighthouse Children's Home, where I serve on the board of directors there. And, but he sends it out every morning at 5.30 in the morning. And I took his advice. And I, I did a, a physical health check on myself. And I'm glad I did because I learned that I am not overweight. <laughs> I'm simply two and a half inches too short. But he followed it up in another devotion with some really good advice. I'm going to follow his diet plan. He's got one of the best diet plans I've ever heard of. He is currently on two diets. He said he just wasn't getting enough to eat on the first one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in, man. I'm in. I'm going I'm to work. I don't know if I can get any taller and get in the plan, but I'm, I'm going to work on, on the advice that he gave me. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if any be found of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I'm going to pause right there for a minute. I'm going to give you this plug in in your life. Number one, you probably ought to underline or highlight that in your Bible. And number two, if you're not everything right now that God wants you to be, if you're not doing everything that God wants you to do, if you don't know what God wants you to do, you're wondering in your life right now, what is my purpose? I believe God can use me, probably would. Whatever it is in your life, if you're not absolutely already doing everything perfect the way God wants you to do, I want you to ask right now the question, Lord, what will you have me to do? I want that to be your prayer this morning as we go on this message, Lord, what will you have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. When the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man, and Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. Boy, we ought to be that responsive every time the Lord calls our name. The Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, whew, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children, uh, and, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now that word suffer there, that's not a word like what we think pain and suffering. 
It's not talking about the beatings. It's not talking about the stripes. It's not talking about the shipwrecks. It's not talking about all the hardships that Paul went through. That's not what Jesus was saying when he said he's going to suffer some things for my sake. It has nothing to do with that word at all. What that word right there also translates to means to experience. He is going to experience a life serving me. He is going to experience. Experience a life of what it's like to walk with Christ. He is going to experience. See, God has the same thing in mind for you and I. God wants you and I to experience the Christian life. It's not a chore. It's not a challenge. I said a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night. It's not a set of rules. It's not a set of regulations. It's not how you got to dress. It's not that you have to come to church on Sunday morning. It's that you get to come to church on Sunday morning. It's not bound by a set of hardships and laws. It's not bound by a set of rules and religions and what kind of clothes you got to wear and what men and women can and can't wear. It is a freedom from sin. It is a freedom to be called a child of the living God. It is a freedom to be born again, washed in the blood, have your name written in heaven be headed to heaven when you leave this earth it is a freedom we get to experience a christian life i want to bring a message this morning you are a chosen vessel god thank you so much for this book thank you for this word for this letter this love letter you wrote to us thank you for the old testament and the new thank you for the old testament prophets and the new testament fulfillment Thank you for the book of Revelation that is yet to come and the promise that I hold in my hand of my eternity. God, thank you for for saving us, God, sinners saved by grace. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. And God, I pray you take this word right now. I ask you, would you teach it to me? Would you teach it through me, Father? I pray you'd help every one of us to walk out of this door knowing that we are a chosen vessel held in the hand of God. For an intended purpose. There's not an accident in in this place. There's not an accident listening on live stream. There'll not be an accident listening later one day on a recording. That we have an intended purpose designed by you. We are chosen vessels of the living God. I want to tell you thank you, Father. I want to ask you to move on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, So what we have here in the text is Paul's salvation story. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Um, Paul, Paul was on his way to, to persecute those there. He was on his way to Damascus, and he had this Damascus, on the road to Damascus experience. And Paul, at that moment, made a choice to follow Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that everybody in here, that everybody within the sound of my voice, has your personal experience. That you have your time when you've been face-to-face with Jesus Christ, when you've been face-to-face with the choice, do I trust Christ or or do I continue on in the ways of the world? It is my prayer that everybody in this place has your salvation story. Somewhere along life, we we have chosen the day when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. If you do not have that story, it is my prayer that before this day ends, that from here on, your story begins on Sunday morning, October the 4th. I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. That was the day when I became a child of God. Here in our text this morning, God told Ananias, he said, Paul is a chosen vessel. See, he didn't say that he was chosen over Ananias. 
He doesn't say that he's chosen over David or, or over Abraham. He didn't say that he was chosen over Elijah or over Elisha or over Isaiah or any of the, the great prophets. He didn't say that he was chosen over Peter or chosen over John the Baptist. He didn't say that he was chosen over you. He just said he is a chosen vessel of mine. Now, the reason this conversation took place is because Ananias knows about Saul's past. Anybody here got a past? Anybody on this planet know about your past? Anybody like to remind you of your past, throw up your past? Anybody, when you got saved, come along and said, yeah, right. We'll see how long that lasts. I know his past. God said, I've heard some things about them. <laughs> Ananias was telling God, I, I know some things. I, I've heard about what he's doing. I've heard about his past. God says, you don't worry about his past. I know about it too. I done took care of that. You just worry about now. You just worry about what I gave you to do. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That tells me that all of us have been chosen. God has a plan for everyone. There is none left out. No, not one. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No one is excluded from that. When you and I are saved, it sets in motion the plan that God has for our life. It's not a new plan. It's not a plan that got designed on the day you got saved. It's a plan that happened before you were ever born. I want to I move for a minute to the book of Genesis. I'm going to share a couple of different stories with you this morning in the Bible. Matter of fact, if you want to turn there, you turn there with me, Genesis chapter 12. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just go ahead and open it over here and read it for a minute. Genesis chapter 12, here, here in this text, the man that we're going to read about, his name is Abram. Genesis being the book of origins or the book of beginnings, it is the book of first. Every time we see things in Genesis, obviously it is the first time we see it, but it's not the first letter written. It's just the, the way God put his book together. Many, um, many people think that Job is probably the oldest letter that's ever written, but, but clearly Genesis is not the first. Um, we, we have some, some wisdom books um, Certainly Job, along with Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, they, they give us some, some wisdom. But what we see here is a book written by the hand of Moses. How many of you know how it starts out in the beginning, God? Nobody. Not one of you. At least wink, nod your head, slip a little hand. How many of you know it starts in the beginning, God? Well, if it's in the beginning, God, then how did Moses write the book? Matter of fact, how did he write the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch? So what we have here is a letter, and this is where a, a salvation story begins. This is where a faith story begins. It is Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. The Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. I want you to underline these next two statements. And from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. For they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. Abram passed through the land into the place of Sikkim unto the plain of Morah and the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed, Will I give this land? And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. He removed from thence to a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land. Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land came to pass, when he come near, enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai's wife, Behold now, I know thou art fair, a fair woman to look upon. That means she's fine. She, she's hot. This is a good-looking woman. And he said, I know you're a good-looking woman. Therefore it shall come to pass that when the Egyptians shall, shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they'll save thee alive. He says, I know I married up. And all the Egyptians are going to clearly see that I'm married up. And they're going to kill me so they can have you. So we're going to lie about the situation. Remember, he left following God. He left going to the promised land. Egypt isn't in the equation. If you were following God, you better make sure you stay on the path. This wasn't part of the journey. This ain't where he was even supposed to be. And as soon as you get out of the will of God, you'll, you'll start telling lies and going back to your old ways. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake. My soul shall live because of thee. This ain't part of the message, but I'll just go ahead and tell you. He lost his testimony before that king because he lied. And the king said, what is this you're doing? And he never had a chance to lead those people to the Lord because of his lie. It's amazing how easy it is to destroy your testimony. So Genesis being the book of origins, the book of beginnings. In 2 Peter Chapter 1, the Bible tells us where we get the Word of God from. It says in verse 18 that this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We also have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Many people's problem with, with salvation today and the reason they can't be saved, the reason they can't grasp salvation is because they do not believe that God's Word is infallible without fault or without error. It is incapable of being wrong. It is incapable of, of having an error. They, I've had conversations just this week with people that I think a lot of, that, that their problem is that they do not believe everything in the Bible. Oh, they believe in the beginning. They, they believe some things of creation. They, they believe in some of the stories, but they don't believe in all of it. We discussed, they told me some of the things that, that they don't believe, because, and here's why they don't believe it. It couldn't have happened that way. It's not like that now. It, there's no way it could have been that way. Listen, let me tell you straight up. You either believe everything about God or you believe nothing about God. 
You believe everything about the Word of God or you believe nothing about the Word of God? You don't get to pick and choose from a holy, sovereign, righteous God that was there in the beginning and knows all things. You don't get to think that you know more than God. You don't get to decide that you're smarter than God. You don't get to decide that you know more about this thing than God. You either believe God's Word or you don't. There's no ifs, maybes, in-betweens. So, so the problem is that they don't believe everything because it doesn't make sense to them. Let me tell you what doesn't make sense to me. I know my past, the one I asked you about. I know how much I deserve hell. I know what ought to happen to me. But I'm going to heaven called a child of the king, written in the Lamb's book of life, called a son of the living God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what don't make sense to me. You want to talk about things that don't make sense in the book? I'm glad it don't make sense because if it made sense, I'd spend eternity in hell. I'd have already been there and never get out. I'm not worried about the things I don't understand. I'm just glad that God's book is perfect and complete and there's no mistakes in it. If you ever need proof of 2 Peter and how the Holy Scriptures were written, if Genesis was written by the hand of Moses along with the five books of the Pentateuch and Moses wasn't there in the beginning... Moses wasn't there when everything was created. He didn't eyewitness any of this. So how could he write the creation story except the Holy Spirit moved upon his hand that he wrote the story? How, how could he write a 2,000-year exposition of things from the beginning up past the life of Abraham? How could he write that except the Holy Spirit of God intervened? That's how we know that the book is perfect and written by the Holy Spirit of God. So beginning in chapter 12 here, we have the beginning of the story of faith. And then from there through chapter 50, we deal with Abraham and his descendants. God said to Abram, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. We looked at it last week. Being in the right place is everything. Not being in the place you want to be, being in the place that God put you. It may not be where you think you want to be. It may not be comfortable. But being where God put you is everything. Being in the right place. I know it was last week, but, but being where you need to be, God will position you where you need to be more so than where you want to be because you are a chosen vessel. You, God has something in store for you. God has something planned for you. And in order for you to fulfill God's plan, you got to be where God wants you. It may or may not be where you want to be. Amen? If you're where God told you to be in every area of your life, then stay right there. If God has told you somewhere you need to be, then get right there. But be sure that you're hearing from the voice of God because I promise you the devil wants you out of the will of God. And the best thing to do to get you out of the will of God is to get you out of the place that God wants you. And the devil will lie to you. He'll whisper to you. He'll talk to you. He'll wake you up at night talking to you. He'll talk to you when you're trying to pray. You have to run him off in the name of Jesus. Make sure you're hearing right voices. You can go back and listen to a couple of messages on that over the past few months. Make sure you're hearing the right voices. Make sure you're following the right one because if the devil can get you in the wrong place, he can cease what God was going to do in your life. At least put it on hold for a little bit. Abram left Haran. Because of the famine, he ended up in Egypt. And he ended up in trouble. Can I just throw in right here for a minute, at any time you follow your instinct over following God, you're going to end up in trouble. Anytime you follow your desires over following God, you're going to end up in trouble. Anytime you go from one place to another because you don't like the style of music or you don't like the kind of music or you don't like what's said or the way it's done, anytime you decide to leave your, wherever you are over your desire or your will, anytime you choose that over the will of God, you're going to end up in trouble. 
God said, go to the land that I will show thee. Then he gave Abram at least seven promises. He said, I'll make thee a great nation. I will bless thee. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will make thy name great. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But Abram messed up. First off, he didn't leave his father's house. God had said. So, so he took his father's house with him. And for a season, he ended up bogged down in Haran. He never should have been in Haran in the first place. He ended up bogged down there for a while. So in reality, he was late leaving. But after his father dies, it says that Abram set out to go to the land that God would show him. He set out to go looking for the city of God. He set out to go looking for this promised land. But when things got tight, he went into Egypt. Do you know what Egypt is? It's the past. It's the world. See, he went back to what was familiar. Egypt is just like Ur in the land of the Chaldees. Egypt is just like Haran. They're full of idol worship. It's all about idolatry and false gods and golden calves and, and all the different gods and different service areas. He went back to what looked familiar. Somebody needs to pay attention. Times got tough. It wasn't going quite like he thought. He's left where he was. He's on his way to the promised land, but things got a little bit tight, and he decided to go back to what looked familiar. Don't worry about familiarity. Because there ain't nothing back there that I want to reunite with anyway. Just keep looking towards God. Partial obedience will always result in a loss of forward progress. It's going to cause you and others both around you to be bogged down. So number one, Abram's late leaving. So he ended up traveling when the famine came. And then because of the famine, he ends up there in Egypt. And number two, he took some people with him. That God didn't tell him to take. You remember what I had you point out a couple things about leave your father's house? Sometimes God is trying to get some people out of your life. They may be pulling you down. They may be holding you back. They may be turning you astray. Maybe they're just a bad influence in your life. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they go to church with you. But that doesn't mean they're pulling you in the right direction. That, that doesn't keep them from steering you away from the plan that God has for you. Sometimes God has to try to move some things, some places, some people out of our lives. Don't try to take with you what God is trying to take away from you. God's got a plan and he knows who he needs in your life to fulfill the plan and who he needs out of your life. Just like Abraham, sometimes God gives us places to go and even in that, we mess up. Somebody make me feel better and say amen so I ain't all by myself. Don't let people talk you into going where God hasn't told you to go. Don't let people talk you into leaving where God hasn't told you to leave. Be in the place where God tells you to be. Partial obedience is the same thing as complete failure. But failure, as I've said before, failure is never fatal unless it's final. Get back on track. Something important us to see here as children of God. Abram's success may have been delayed. Y'all going to like this one. But the promises were never removed. We looked at the seven promises that, that God gave Abram. Once Abram moved in the direction that God told him to, once he left the old land, once he left the old way of life, the old lifestyle, the way it used to be, the promises were not dependent 
on, on, on Abram. There was nothing that Abram could do to earn the promises. There, somebody's going to catch on to it in a minute. There's nothing that he could do to lose the promises. There's nothing you can do to earn the promises. You just accept the gift. There's nothing that you can do to lose the promises that, that God has made. A, a momentary failure simply delayed the inevitable, but the, but the promises of God are still sure. No matter what God has promised you, it will come to pass. Our eternity is secure. It will come to pass. Anybody say amen. Anybody excited knowing that there's a better place, a better home? We're just pilgrims passing through. Thank God this ain't the best it gets. The best day of my life on this planet won't touch the days of heaven. If you've accepted the promise, nothing, nothing can take it from you. You can't do anything to make it come to pass. You can't do anything to lose it. By faith, Abram believed God. In that particular text, it would be Abraham, but he believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. So just like Abraham our faith had to begin somewhere. There, there had to come a time when we confessed with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, confessed our sins and trusted him as our personal Lord and Savior. There had to be a time when we left the old way of life. There had to be a time when we stepped out of where we were to go to where God wants us to go. There has to be that salvation story. Just like Abraham, sometimes along the way we'll trip and fall. It's okay to say amen right there. I hate it if y'all leave me hanging out by myself and feel like I'm the only one that ever tripped, the only heathen in the room that ever made a mistake, the only one that's ever failed God since I've been washed in the blood. No, I'm not one of those perfect. If you are, God bless you, help you, pray for the rest of us, because I assure you we have failures in, in our life. But, but just like Abraham, life's not a sprint, it's a marathon. If you run in a sprint in a 100-yard dash and you fall, life is it's over. You're not going to win that race. It's a done deal. But in a marathon, it just keeps on coming. You trip and fall, you just get up and get on back in the race. You just keep on going, keep being what God would have you to be. When we fall in life, we get up. We ask for forgiveness. We move on to the next trial. Just like Abraham Sometimes God gives us places to go, and, and even in that, we, we mess things up. God didn't say anything about taking Lot with him. If you read on into the story, you'll find out that's just a burr under a saddle. You'll find out how much trouble Lot got him into, how many problems it caused him. He said, leave your father's house. That was his brother's son. That's his nephew. That, that's his father's house. He carried some things with him. If God doesn't tell us to take someone with us, then whoever we take is going to be in the way. I've got a story for that. I've shared it with you before, and I'm sorry to be repetitive. I really am, but it just fits so well. Some of you are new, and you've not heard it, but I was, I, it was at least 14 years ago. I'm pretty positive it's when Brandon was pastor. Miss Sylvia, you can help me. When the offices were upstairs, and you go down here to the end, what's now the children's area, you hang a right, the last room on the left. Brandon was in that office. Is that when he was pastor? So around 14 years ago, God told me to go see a friend, a good friend. Friends about my dad's age, but he'd been a really good friend to me. I'd known him for an awful lot of years. But based on some occasional adjectives and the fact that he fished every Sunday morning made me wonder about his salvation. 
he'd talk about church a little bit if you wanted to. He just didn't want to get too in-depth. But, but the Bible says you shall know a tree by its fruit. And if there's some thorns on that vine, I'm a little concerned about that vine. And, and if they don't ever go to church, and it's more important to fish. So, so God told me to go see them. God ever given you anything to do and you feel insignificant? God ever tell you to witness to somebody and you feel afraid of what they might ask you? God ever give you something to do? You felt so inadequate that there's no way, so you try to get somebody else to go with you? So the reason I know the office is because I went in Brandon's office. And I asked him to go with me. I think it was a Friday, so we decided we'd go on Monday. Well, on Monday, something come up. Imagine that. God didn't tell me to take Brandon. He told me to go. So something come up on Monday, and I didn't go. I said, well, let, let's reschedule. We tried it on Thursday. Something come up on Thursday, and Brandon couldn't go, and I never went. And to this day, I've yet to ask that man, if you died, do you know where you'd go, heaven or hell? And to this day, I don't know the answer to that question because I didn't go. See, the, the problem was that, that I didn't believe some of you are sitting here right now, you don't believe that you are a chosen vessel. <laughs> you don't realize the power of God that you have. You don't know how special you are. You don't know the anointing of God on you. What I realize now is if I would have just went alone, I would have gone in the power of God and the demons of hell couldn't have stopped what would have happened in that room that day. I wouldn't have been by myself, but I didn't go, so I won't ever know. Sometimes God gives you places to go, and he don't want you to take anybody else. Sometimes God wants us to get some things out of our life. Lord, help us. Our failures since we've been saved. Anybody ready for this one? A anybody failed? I, I mean, uh, if not, I'll just skip this part right here. A couple of you failed. Any of you failed since you got saved? How, how about since you started working in the church? Since you started teaching Sunday school or at least going to Sunday school on a regular basis? Since you started working and He's Alive? Since you started working in Judgment Journey? Since you became dedicated? Since you began praying in the morning? Since you began reading God's Word daily? Since then have you failed? Here's an encouragement. Our failures have not disqualified us. Whatever we have done to fail God since we have been saved may have delayed whatever God was going to do. But you ain't strong enough to stop what God's going to do. Back to our text, God told Ananias, I want you to go anoint Saul of Tarsus. Ananias said, God, let me tell you what I've heard about this man. So God teased him. He listened to what he had to say. He didn't cut him off. But he said, I know who he is. I'm the one that called him. See, no matter what the world says about you, no matter what those around you say about you, here, here's the best one. No matter what your past says about you, God says, I know who he is. I'm the one that called him. He is a chosen vessel of mine. That's what God says about you and your past. You are a 
chosen vessel. Jeremiah in chapter 1 verse 5, God said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. That means that before Jeremiah was ever born, not, not after some salvation experience, not after a road to Damascus experience, but on, before he was ever born, God already had a plan for his life. Everybody agree with that? Raise your hand. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I, a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Romans chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, for there is no respect of persons with God. What that tells me is what God did for Abraham, God will do for you. What God did for David, God will do for you. What God did for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego at the fiery furnace, God will do for you. And what God did for Daniel in the lion's den, God will do for you. What God did out on the stormy seas for the disciples, God will do for you. And what God did in the apostle Paul, God can and will do in you. It's all about surrendering to the perfect will of God. You are a chosen vessel before you were ever born God had a plan for your life. Now, you must accept Christ. But on the day that we accepted Christ, we like Abraham. We left the old land. We left the things of the past. We had to leave those old things. The promise couldn't be made in the old land. You, you couldn't get to the promised land by staying in the old land. You, you had to leave the old way. You had to leave the past. The promise is on the other side of stepping out of the old way of life and going to where God says go. There must be a salvation story in your life where you left the old life and began your new life in Christ. There must be a change. There can't be a day that you say you said something. There must be a change in your life. Your salvation story isn't the day that you said something with your lips. It is the day you surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and old things truly passed away. You became a new creature in God. You began to desire the things of God, the Word of God, and the will of God. You no longer desire to go to the places you used to go. You no longer desire to talk the way you used to talk. You no longer desire to go back and hang out with the crowd you used to run with. You no longer desire to go to the same places on Friday and Saturday night. You didn't want to talk to the same old friends. Old things passed away. You had to leave the old land. You had to go towards the new land. But on that day, we became chosen vessels. The plan's already in place. Genesis chapter 17. God changed Abram's name and his wife Sarai. Changed their names. The name Abram is the father of many. But that's not the promise. He changed it to Abraham, which was the father of the multitudes. That was the promise. Sarai's wife, that's a personal name. It means my princess. That wasn't the promise. He changed her name to Sarah. That is the princess of the multitudes. That is a positional name. God changed their name. Now, now look at the names. Abram, fifth letter is M. Sarah, fifth letter is I. God changed what they have in common. God changed both of their names by changing the fifth letter to an H. Y'all know I like to study the numbers, so it's pretty intriguing to me to look it up. In the Hebrew alphabet, the letter H is the fifth letter in the alphabet. The number five always represents grace. What that tells me is that these promises were not hinged on the ability of Abraham. They were hinged on the grace of God. In the English language, the letter H is the eighth letter in the alphabet. The number eight means new beginnings. That means that our new beginning came by grace. 
You are a chosen vessel. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to lose it. Once you have left that old way of life and set your sights on the promises of God, on the promised land, there may be some mistakes that that cost you a little bit of time. There may be some people that maybe pull you from side to side in the wrong direction there for a little bit in your life. But nothing can keep God from fulfilling His promise in your life. I know we make mistakes, but if we turn back after every mistake, every, every setback, every failure, take your stuff and get out of Egypt. The famine was bad. We went the wrong way. We got some people with us that weren't supposed to be there. God took care of that. He sent Lot down to Sodom. You know how all that stuff worked out. But, but he had to get out of Egypt. If you've taken a wrong turn because of the famine, because of the things going on in your life, you've ended up in the wrong place, get out of Egypt. Get out of the things that are familiar. Just get back to where, where God said go. All you do is say, God, here I am again. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for, for a new beginning again and again and again and again and again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But, but here I am again, God, doing me what you've purposed to do in me. It is not hinged on your ability to be perfect. It is hinged on God's grace in your life. We can't begin to imagine the depth of what God has in store for our lives. In the book of Esther, I'm going to give you one more and I'm done. This is, this is really brief, but I, I just want you to see the importance of your role. I want you to see the importance of who you are. I, I want you to see the importance of how insignificant you may seem on this planet. You are mighty in the hand of God. There, there was a little, a little Jewish girl. Her name was Esther. The, the Jews at the time were, were slaves. They were nothing. They, they, were, they were dogs to the Gentiles around them, these powerful leaders. So you got the, this little girl named Esther that is a nothing, but yet she ends up in Shushan the palace queen. So she, she's queen to this king, Ahasuerus, and Ahasuerus is, is king. He has 127 provinces. And in those 127 provinces, he has passed a decree because, because, granted, some others brought it to him again, others in your life causing problems, others brought it to him, but he signed it that, that the Jews were going to be killed. She had an uncle named Mordecai that was out at the gate. He sent word in to her, he said, hey, king passed this decree that, that your people, our people, they're going to be killed. You, you little Jewish girl, you nobody. You need to go into the king of 127 provinces. You need to go in and change that. Now, she knows that anybody that goes in the courtyard before the king's throne without being called to the king can be killed, executed on the spot. So she's afraid to go. Mordecai sends a word, Esther chapter 4, verse 14. If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He says God's purpose and God's will will be done. 
If you don't go in there, God's still going to do what God's going to do. He's just going to have to do it without you. He's going to have to have somebody else do what he designed you to do. He puts you in the place. You're there for a reason. He has purposed something, and God's will will be done. But who knows that he may have put you where you are, in the position you are, at the time you are, for such a time as this. Because God's about to do something great. He says, don't be afraid to be what God has made you to be. He says, you are a chosen vessel of God. In a nutshell, that's what Mordecai says to Esther. The same thing is true in you and I. God chose to dwell in you. You are the temple of the living God. God chose to move inside your heart, sweep out closets, clean out cabinets, take out dirty stuff. God chose. You are the residence of the Holy Spirit of God, creator of all things, omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful, without beginning, without end, chose to live inside you. You, you are a chosen vessel. There, there's no limits to what God can do through an obedient vessel. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That word peculiar there in Titus comes from a Greek word that means special. God says you are a special person, designed, developed, created for good works. I have a special work to do in you. But then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation. Those two Greek words also mean special and individual. God is saying you are a special individual, a royal priesthood. That is a kingly priest. God's talking about you, a holy Nation. The word holy comes from the word that, that means in God's eyes that you are blameless through Jesus Christ. And the word for nation is the Gentiles or non-Jews. So again, God is calling you blameless. He says you are holy. But then he says a peculiar people. That's a different word than the one that we saw there in Titus. That, that comes from a Greek word that means purchased. You're not just special. You are purchased. You are a possession of God. It means that you have been saved. God says that through Jesus Christ, you, you have been purchased. You have been saved. You are a special person. You are a child of God. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God says you are a special person that has been set aside for and wholly used for such a time as this. God knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he has in store for you. He's just waiting on us to be what he's called us to be. That, that we be a, a light, that there be a, a marvelous light shining in the darkness out of you and I. The question is, are we fully surrendered to what God would have us to be? Have we left the old way of life? That's first and foremost. But have we turned aside into Egypt? 
because it looks familiar? Or are we riding along the fence, one foot in, one foot out? Or are we fully dedicated? Remember when we started, I asked you if you wanted to know God's will to pray the prayer right there that Paul said, Lord, what will you have me to do? I wonder, and you ain't got to raise your hand. I wonder if there's anybody in here that asked that question in a minute. Lord, what will you have me to do? I wonder if there's anybody in here that, that asked that, saying, no strings attached, no holes, no bars. You tell me what you want, I'm in. I want to know what you want me to do, and I want to be that. I want to go there. I want to live there. I want to do that. I want to be that. I want your perfect will to be completed in my life. I want to be a chosen vessel used by the hand of God. I wonder when we prayed that up front, did you just pray it because I said, hey, ask this right now because Paul did? Or did you really mean, Lord, what will you have me to do? I'm going to ask if you would to stand where you are. I'm going to ask your heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask you if you ain't afraid to come to the altar. It don't matter. You can pray where you are. If you want to come to the altar, slip your mask on and come on. But I want you to come, and I don't want you to say nothing. I want you to listen. You ask a simple question, Lord, what will you have me to do? Your next response is to be still. God, I ask you a question. I want an answer. I've come humbly before the throne room of grace the way you told me that I can. I come in the name of Jesus Christ as humbly as I know how, but you said that I could come boldly into the throne room. And I want to know what is your will for my life? What will you have me to do? I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to sit in my seat. I'm going to stand in my space. I'm going to kneel at the altar. I'm going to wait just a few minutes. And I want to see what you have to say to me. It has to start with your salvation story. If you don't have a salvation story, then you can't start asking God's will for your life because you're still on the wrong road. You're still in Haran. You're still living in the old land. You ain't even set out towards the Jordan yet. You ain't started towards the promised land yet. If you've not stepped out, if you've not trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've not confessed your sins with your mouth and asked Jesus Christ to save your soul, ask God to write your name in the Lamb's book of life, if you've not asked to be saved, you're still in the old land. You're not ready for the will of God for your life yet. You're still on your way to hell. There's no other way to put that. But you can change all that today. Today can be your road to Damascus. Jesus Christ is a bright light shining in front of you wherever you are right now. You don't have to be sitting in this church. You can be driving in a car. You can be standing in the woods. You can be sitting on a lake. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be standing in a mall. It doesn't matter. What matters is the Holy Spirit of God is shining a light on you right now. The light of Christ is calling you. Paul, Saul at the time, was faced with a decision. Christ or not. Old way or new way? Yes or no? You have the same choice. You don't have to choose Christ. You can choose to die and go to hell. That's your choice. But God paid the price of the blood of Jesus Christ that you don't have to. That, that you might be a new creature in Christ. That you might be a child of God for all of eternity. 
If you've never trusted Christ today, whether you're in the building or whether you're out there, doesn't matter what today is. I referred to October the 4th, 2020 earlier. I don't care if it's January 19th, 2090, and Jesus still ain't come back. If you're hearing it and you're faithful to pray and ask Jesus Christ to, to forgive you of your sins, confess your faults, ask him to save your soul, he is faithful and just to save your soul. Forgive you of all unrighteousness, and God will call you a holy nation, a peculiar, purchased possession of the king. If you said that prayer and you surrendered your heart to Christ, you're just as much a child of God as anybody in this place, not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did for you and what God did through you, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.